everybody. How you doing? Good to see you. Yeah, you can applaud. Good video. Good drama. They're awesome. Uh, my name is Bill. I'm one of the associate pastors here. We're in the final couple of weeks of our series entitled, What Would Jesus Hate? How's it gone so far for you? Yeah, it's been good stuff. Uh, we're in the last couple of weeks. Today we're going to be talking about joy killing. And just to bring you up to speed, if you haven't been here, uh, Pastor Tim talked about Jesus would hate anything that gets in the way of his love for his people, right? Uh, so we're going to be talking about joy killing today. And next week is Jim Caviezel weekend, so he's going to be here for the interview. We're going to have two services on Saturday night, so if there's any way you can make it over to Saturday evening, we'd love to have you there. Four and six on Saturday night. We're also going to be doing some shuttling from uh, Horton Insurance down here. I'll explain a little bit about that later, but we're looking forward uh, to the next weekend. So before we jump into joy killing, um, I've had a bunch of you ask me about the biggest loser competition that we've been having at the church uh, with the staff that we signed up for at the beginning of the year. If you weren't here for that, uh, a few of our staff have uh, signed up to, to get a little healthier, to lose a little weight uh, in the new year, and we're about five weeks into that, and you've probably heard Tim take some shots at me about the biggest loser, and so I, I just want you to know I'm doing pretty good, actually. This is a picture of me after my most recent workout. <laughs> you know, looking good. Uh, the clothes hide all the muscle, and uh, Tim's hitting the weights as well. He's looking good, bulking up. This is a picture of Tim. <laughs> Leave that there for a minute, would you? That's awesome. <laughs> oh. And uh, I, you know what? We, we kind of uh, jab at each other up here a few times uh, on the stage. And some of you are actually worried that we don't get along. Everything's good. We've mended fences. We're all, we're all good. We're actually working out together. This is a picture of us working out. This is... <laughs> Woo! You can get that on a T-shirt if you want. It's, uh, that's me and Tiny Tim. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right. Last time, uh, hey, last time I spoke, it was during the Eat This uh, book series. And you, recall, you might recall I, I talked about the fact that my family was not a, a church-going family. Nevertheless, um, we had this picture hanging above my mom's sewing machine in the dining room uh, for as long as I can remember. How many of you have this in your house? Yeah, a whole bunch of you. Pretty famous picture. And even though we didn't go to church uh, growing up, I, I learned a lot about Jesus from this picture. At least I thought I did. Um, anytime I thought of Jesus as I was growing up, I always thought of this guy that was this well-groomed, you know, great complexion, killer wavy long hair that I would have died for in the 80s because I loved metal music. Um, actually, I would die for that hair now. So <laughs> uh, I, I always thought of that picture. I always thought of him looking off at something, but I wasn't quite sure what he was looking at, just kind of staring off uh, this kind of creepy, holy look about him in this, in this image. I never thought of him as angry from that picture, but I also never thought of him as happy or fun. And that's like most, uh, most pictures of Jesus, isn't it? It's the, most pictures are not like the pictures that Tim showed a few weeks ago where Jesus is playing and laughing and enjoying life. He's always very serious. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 and 4. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab that. And by the way, if you don't, we have Bibles in the back of the room. Grab one, take it with you. We'd love for you to have it. I'm going to read this, uh, this verse and just uh, read along with me. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. And, uh, you know, if you were looking at the, the pictures of Jesus, you would think he wasn't real familiar with this scripture. Because he's often portrayed in those pictures as this emotionless, bland, slightly sedated, uh, plain vanilla white rice Jesus, isn't he? He wasn't real threatening in those images. Um, you know, I never felt threatened by him because Jesus would never get angry. We all know that, right? 
But I also never pictured him as somebody who was fun to be around from that picture I had hanging in our dining room. He would just be uh, boring or joyless if you were looking at those images and trying to figure out what Jesus was like. He'd be the kid in the class that's saying, you know what, we really shouldn't be doing this because this is way too much fun. It was funny, right before I became a Christian, the people that talked to me about following Christ when I was 17, they, they, the hard sell was, you know, this is going to change your life. It's going to be fantastic. You're not going to believe it. It's just filled with joy. And from the time I signed on the line said, I want to follow Jesus, I was baptized. It seemed like when I came up out of the water, everything changed. And the focus for those folks all of a sudden became on the things I couldn't do. These are the things you can't do. They, were, they had a list of things I couldn't do. And they would spend time telling me all the things I should be against instead of the things I have to live for. Did anybody have this experience in church? Yeah, a bunch of you. That was, that was the focus. Here's a, here's a short list of the don't do's. The naughty list is what I like to call it that you couldn't do if you were going to follow Christ. You ready? Here we go. No dancing, no drinking, no prom or homecoming, no movies, no television, no mixed swimming. Now, if you didn't grow up right <laughs> up. Mixed swimming um, is having a boy and a girl in the same swimming pool within 7,000 feet of each other, okay? No kissing, no smoking, no long hair, no laughing or joking in church, no card playing, and no rock music. We, uh, we grew up in an area that had a lot of denominations in it, a lot of denominational churches in this very small town. But one of the things I remember that united these churches that it didn't matter, they, they hated each other, you know, most of the time, but the thing that united them was a boycott that they all participated in when they boycotted Pizza Hut. Not because it's bad pizza, but just, do you have any idea why they boycotted? Just somebody yell it out. Jukebox. Jukebox. Well, that could have been it. That's good. It was beer. Pizza Hut served beer, and any God-loving, Christ-following person would not be caught dead in an establishment that served beer. Now, the boycott didn't really last that long because even legalistic Christians love their pizza. So, and that was the only place in town, so they'd order it to go. <laughs> you know, have it delivered to your house, sneak it out in a brown paper bag and a raincoat, whatever it took to get the pizza. <laughs> I mean, that's the way it was. If you grew up in a church like this, you could probably add some of your things to the naughty list, right? Some things that you just couldn't do if you love Christ. And if you were to sum up how many people feel about Christians and Christianity, you could capture it in a couple of words. Joyless and boring. This is the picture most people had and still have of Christians. Christians are simply people that are anti-anything that's fun. You saw it in the video a couple of weeks ago when Tim was showing the, um, the man on the street video and they were asking him, what do you think? What do you think of Christianity? What do you think of Christians? Did you notice not one person in that video said, enjoyable to be around, great at parties. You know, nobody said that. Uh, Christians are often seen as joyless and boring. I, I play a little golf in the summer, uh, and I see it on the golf course. Uh, if you're a golfer, you know that if you go out on a really busy day and you go out by yourself or just with one other person, a lot of times you'll get paired up with, uh, with people you don't know because they want to make sure that play is speedy. And so uh, you, it's kind of cool because you get to meet people. Um, you get to play golf, which is awesome, you know, always awesome, and it's a, it's a good day. Um, until about the seventh, eighth, or ninth hole is when this typically happens. You get the dreaded question of what do you do for a living? And uh, since it's part of my job description not to lie, um, I, I typically tell them the truth and I say, well, I'm a pastor. And instead of them saying, you know, these guys that we just met, oh, great, well, tell me about your job. I'd love to talk to you about God. I mean, man, we're just, this is awesome. Uh, they immediately get this startled look in their face and they start replaying all the words they used. <laughs> 
like the last seven holes, trying to think of what did I say when I hit that ball, <laughs> you know? Matter of fact, sometimes they'll just come out and say it, you know? Well, if I'd have known you were a pastor, I wouldn't have used those words back then, <laughs> you know? I don't know what they think I'm going to do. If I'm going to melt or I'm going to use my pastor powers to turn them into a pumpkin, I don't know, you know, what's going to happen. <laughs> and it, it, what's funny about it, too, is it, it, the remaining holes are never like the first few holes. You know, all of a sudden, everybody's driving slower in their cart, and, you know, they're... No, really, you go first, and, you know, they start keeping their real score, you know. <laughs> no, I think I took a 10, you know. <laughs> Pastor, can you part the water hazard for me, really, you know. I mean, that's what happens. Why do they react that way? I think it's funny. I've hardly ever played golf where I've been paired up with somebody that a similar reaction hasn't happened. It's because they're convinced, they've been taught that Christians, particularly pastors, have no idea what it is to have joy, uh, that they're joy killers, and because of that impression on people, uh, it has an impact, folks. It has an impact. They say, well, that must be how God is. They're representing him. So he must be stale and as boring and as stiff as this guy I'm in the golf cart with, right? And the distortion, you know what? It, it, it's kind of weird to talk about joy and what would Jesus hate, isn't it? But it's a serious issue to Jesus because joy killing separates people from him. That's why we threw this in this series. Joy killing separates people from him. And I can think of two groups of people that are particularly impacted by joy killing. The first is those who grew up in churches like that, like we're describing, that think following, a, following Christ and being a Christian must be, mean being this boring, hyper-serious, solemn, somber person. I don't know where they get the idea. Maybe it's from church signs like this. This is a real sign. Hope Lutheran Church. Read the Bible. It will scare hell out of you. <laughs> that just reeks of joy, doesn't it? <laughs> this is a real sign. This isn't one of the made-up signs that Tim showed a few weeks ago. This is actually a real sign. For some of you in this room uh, that, are, that have started attending Parkview recently, uh, it's taking you a little while to adjust to church here. It, it's, it's been an adjustment. We have this class called What We Believe, uh, where you show up and you... You know, you can hear about the church and ask questions about the church. And one of the questions we ask is, hey, what's kind of stood out for you? And this is, this is, in a summary, the sentiment that we get from many people. You ready? This just doesn't feel like church. And the people around me are smiling. You know, I look down the, the row and people are smiling. In the lobby, they're smiling. It doesn't, fit, it doesn't fit with my picture of what I thought church would be. And this is my favorite, and people actually say this. It doesn't hurt enough. <laughs> It's not painful enough, and I like to come. What is wrong with this place? You know, that's the idea you get. You know what? My, my dad uh, is 84 years old, and he grew up in a church like this. Uh, my grandparents were church-going folks, um, helped start the church that they attended. And uh, I, was, I was home about a year ago, and we were at a medical appointment with my father, and we were waiting uh, in, the, in the doctor's office. They were about an hour and a half late, and so... My dad's not much of a talker, so it was a pretty quiet time. Thank the Lord for Sports Illustrated in there. So, uh, but I, thought, I got to thinking about my dad's life. You know, as an 84-year-old man, um, he had five older sisters. And neither him or any of his sisters had anything to do with church. None of them. And my parents, I mean, grandparents whom I never met were, like I said, they helped start the church there. So I thought, hey, why not bring it up now? You know, we got nothing else going on. I'm going to ask Dad uh, why this is. And so we're sitting there, and I said, you know, Dad, tell me a little bit about growing up in church. And he described to me, going to this church, he went every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. He told me about sitting in the pew with his father because he didn't have children's church. He told me about laying his head on his dad's lap 
and listening to the sermons. He could tell you all the preachers from the, from the time he was born, he, he was in church. And I said, what happened? I mean, why, why did Aunt Vid and Aunt Carmen and, and Aunt Seal and all these folks, why did they not go to church? Why didn't, why didn't we go to church? And he said, Billy, he said, when I was little, he grew up, again, 84, pretty tough economic times. One of the things they used to do to make cash was he and his dad would go down and they would take all these old bricks from, you know, destroyed buildings and they still had the mortar on the brick and they would knock the mortar off, shave the mortar off of them so they could reuse them for, for another building, for construction. For that, he got 10 cents a week, he told me. And what he wanted to do with half of that, he wanted to take a nickel and go down to the nickel show they had in downtown Mount Carmel and watch cowboy movies. And uh, there was a particular cowboy that he was pretty fond of by the name of Tom Mix, a very famous cowboy when he was growing up. He wanted to go see the Tom Mix movies. Now these are, you know, riding around on horses, good versus evil, shooting blanks. And the church said, you know what? You can't do that. And his parents followed what the church said. You can't go to the show. And this this is the word to use. He said, you can't go to the show because it will offend God. And he said, Billy, you know what? I, I never could get my head around, from being a little boy, I never could get my head around how me taking a nickel and going to see a cowboy movie somehow offended God and made him mad. Never could get my head around it. Now, I know that doesn't sum up his whole experience on why he's not in church and I'm not making excuses and why, why at that point he didn't have a relationship with God. But it was interesting to me that that's the story he went to when I asked why, why was none of the family involved in church? I'm sure that was representative of a whole host of experience that he had with the church. For the past few years when I go down, um, my dad was a commander of the American Legion, managed it, he's a World War II vet, and I make a habit for the past couple of years of going down and sitting at the bar with him at the American Legion. He goes down there every morning about 8.30 or 9, and he's there for an hour, drinks coffee, hangs out with his friends, and he's home by 10 o'clock. And what, something stood out in the past couple of years of going down there and hanging out with him. I know why he went there instead of many of the churches in the community. Because there were people there that cared for him and that he cared for. I mean, my dad is not Mr. Compassion. He didn't have a whole lot of friends. He went from the club to home, club to home. He went from work to home. That was it. But I saw people that cared for him, that were glad he was there. He enjoyed being there because of the people that were there. He, he cared for people. There was a guy that sat at the end of the bar by the name of Jim, I believe, and he was a Vietnam veteran, and he, had a, he, he was mentally ill. And all these other people at the other end of the bar, my dad said, leans over to me, he's kind of filling me in on everybody that's there. That's Jim. Nobody hangs out with Jim. He said, he was walking home the other day, and uh, he took off walking in the pouring rain. <clears throat> Nobody gave him a ride, but I was driving, and I stopped and picked him up. I was like, is that my dad? <laughs> You know, I saw at the Legion what he didn't find in the church. Gene Apple says this, the happiest place in the universe, former pastor at Willow Creek, the happiest place in the universe is wherever God is. It's in the presence of God. He goes on to say, now that sounds so counterintuitive to people. That doesn't compute with people because many of us have grown up with this picture of God as this somber, serious, dour, you know, this big divine cosmic drip of a God. Many of you never thought as a child of a church is a joyful place. I mean, in church, parents said to you, don't smile. Take that smile off your face or I'll take it off for you. Stop laughing. You're in church. And you grew up with this. Churches have this habit and this tendency of just sucking the joy, just squeezing the joy in life right out of people, don't they? And some of you grew up in churches watching pastors or priests 
that, you know, were very serious and somber all the time and talked like this. And as Gene says, you know, they looked like they were nursed on vinegar and dill pickles as a baby, you know. <laughs> you get this sour look on their face. And because of your experience, some of you all in this room have lived your Christian lives with this white-knuckle, clenched feeling that if you have any fun at all, if there's any joy in your life, somehow God's going to be offended by it. I want to read a passage for you out of John 15. Again, if you have your Bible, grab that. If not, it's on the screen. This is Jesus talking about the vine and the branches. He's the vine, we're the branches, and what happens to us if we remain in him, what he brings to our lives. John 15, 9 through 11 says this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. And this is the key part of this. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Jesus tells him, look, if you stick with me, if, you, if you're attached to me, if you follow my commands, I, I bring true joy to your life, not this sour feeling that all of us have experienced. It's funny, isn't it? Uh, most places would tell us you're having too much fun, and Jesus says, you know what? I want to bring joy. It's just the opposite. I want to bring joy in your life. And if you follow me, you'll have true joy. The second group of people that I think are affected uh, by, uh, by this distortion of fun and joy and, and bring joy killing to this are, are people that are spiritually seeking, that are looking for God. And you know what? They look at the people in the church and they say, you know what? If that's what Christianity does for you, if that's what being a Christ follower is about, I don't want anything to do with that. There's an old Billy Joel song. You'll remember it. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints because sinners have much more fun. Listen, if you're checking out uh, Christianity and you're checking out the things of God, and you're looking at Jesus, um, and you've been run over by joy killers in your experience, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but that's not what it's about. Uh, when you follow him, it does not have to suck the joy and life out of your life. He brings true joy. So how do we keep from being joy killers? How do we keep from being a place? How do we keep from being a people that just crushes joy? Well, the first thing you can do, this is real practical, and you want to write these down, the first thing you do is hang out with people that are filled with joy. Hang around people that are filled with joy. Hanging around people that are filled with joy is important. I'm telling you, I've got, I've got three close friends, um, two of which are on our staff, that I can't tell you um, how many times I've been down or something's been going on, and I call them up, and uh, they pull me up. I, you know, I can call Tim, or I can call Hayden, or I can call my friend Jeff, and we'll spend some time together, and they'll say something or, or do something that, that pulls me out of the ditch. It's important. It sustains you. Hanging around people filled with joy sustains you. Proverbs 15.30 says this, Smiling faces make you happy, and good news makes you feel better. And it's important to have joy-filled people in your life for, for this reason, and here's the truth about it, because we have plenty of people in our lives that are not filled with joy, Right? that are these black holes when it comes to joy, and they just suck the life right out of you. And listen, I'm not saying you separate yourself from those people. Um, they're in your life for a reason. Minister to them, love them, but you will not be able to do that if you don't have other people counterbalancing that and bringing joy in your life. It Joy sustains us. So here's your homework. You ready? Grab your bulletin if you want. If you've got a pen or a pencil, here's your homework for this week. I want you to right now write down the names of two or three people in your life that bring you joy. Right off the bat, when I said people that bring joy, who did you think of? And make an appointment to spend time with them. Because I'm telling you what, if you're going to pursue joy, you've got to have people around you that bring joy in your life. Make an appointment this week. Go to lunch. 
take them to dinner, have them over, but spend some time with people that bring joy. The second thing we can do if we're going to build and sustain joy in our lives and keep from being joy killers is practice the discipline of celebration. And I say discipline for a very specific reason. Uh, I think celebration is as much a spiritual discipline as reading your Bible, as praying, as fasting, um, as confession. It's, it's a spiritual discipline. And here's why. Because when we celebrate, we remember the goodness of God. We remember how good God has been to us. And a lot of us, a lot of us need to just relax, take a breath, and celebrate. I, we're a pretty hard-driving culture, aren't we? I mean, we really go at it, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, but you know what? I find myself, a lot of times you get through something, and you don't slow down long enough to take a breath and say, you know what, that was good. I mean, we need to celebrate that. We need to stop and thank God for that. Celebration's important. So here's your homework for celebration. You ready? This week, sometime, in the next couple of weeks, let's say, take a, take a morning or an afternoon, if you can do a whole day, and just fill it with things that make you happy. God's not offended by that, Okay. You know, eat the foods you want to eat. I'm going to. Eat the foods you want to eat. Listen to music you want to listen to that makes you happy, even if it's country. I mean, have a party. Those joyful people, invite them over and have a party with them. And if you do this, you're, you're going to be reminded of God's goodness to you. God uses celebration to remind us of his goodness. Uh, and we need reminded because we've got plenty of joy-killing stuff in our lives, don't we? How many of you, show of hands, how many of you have a job that occasionally sucks the joy out of you? Yeah. Wow, applause. <laughs> and arm up. I saw that. Yeah. Uh, it, it's the truth. Now, let's, let's just all quit. You know? <laughs> now, we're not going to quit, but what you can do is try to bring joy to your workplace, right? You can do something at work to bring joy, to, not only to yourself, but to others around you. Do a favor for somebody that drives you crazy and annoys you to bring joy. I do it for Tim all the time. Do it. <laughs> there's dozens of ways to celebrate. I don't know what particular celebration you need to have. I just know you need to have it because you need to be reminded of God's goodness. And the third thing you can do is keep an eternal perspective. Hebrews 6, 19 and 20 says this. We have this hope as an anchor, a very vivid image. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, entered on our behalf. Listen, if you're a Christ follower, if there's anybody that ought to have hope and joy, it's us. And here's why. Because when we look forward past all the, the muck and the junk that we have to deal with every day in our lives, we have hope. We have hope. We have hope in this life. We know that we're forgiven and we didn't deserve it. We have the hope of heaven. And we know no matter what else comes up, we have hope. And that brings a kind of bedrock, deep down joy. I don't know what all of you are going through. I talked to a number of you. Some of you are going through physical ailments right now. You, you, you stopped and we prayed. Some of them are life-threatening. Tough stuff. Some of you are in financial difficulties right now that a year ago you could not have predicted. None of us could have predicted. But it's really bad. It's real bad. Some of you are in relational crisis right now, and it's with your kid or with your spouse or with somebody in your family, and you're wondering how this is all going to work out. It, it, following Christ doesn't mean we're exempt for trials. It just means that we have hope. We have hope in the middle of the trial. Philippians 4.4 4 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Now, a little background on this. When Paul wrote this, the guy that penned this, he's chained up. He's in a jail. So he's either an idiot or he knows something that he wants us to know, and that is, in spite of circumstances, we can have joy. Hebrews 12.2 says this, We're to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the, listen to this part of the verse, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, 
so that you will not grow weary. This is a real key part as well. So you'll not grow weary and lose heart. Interesting choice of words, isn't it? For the joy set before him endured the cross. You don't often think of the cross um, as a symbol of joy. And the reason it's a symbol of joy is because he's thinking of you. He's thinking of us. The joy set before him was you. The fact that he could, he could forgive you and he loved you and you could be with him forever, that's the joy set before him. That's why he endured the cross. And that's worth celebrating, folks. That is worth celebrating every day. So we're going we're gonna to take communion now. We're going to get ready for communion. And we often talk about celebrating communion, but in the service a lot of times it's a very you know, somber, serious time. And, it sh- and rightfully so. That's all right. But today, when you're taking communion, as the trays pass, take it with uh, a little different perspective. Think about Hebrews and think about the fact that for the joy set before him and he endured the cross, that's reason to celebrate. You can take communion today with a smile on your face knowing that God is crazy about you and he wants to redeem the world and he hates anything that gets in the way of his love. So in your own seat, you know, Rick did the little dance. During communion, uh, have a little party and thank God for the goodness. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for... uh, Man, for time to celebrate and just to think of joy. Uh, a lot of things going on right now that are uh, just heavy. And help us right now, uh, during this time, where we celebrate um, the death and the burial and the resurrection of your son, to realize that the kingdom of heaven is a party. Uh, it's not this dead, somber place. That every time somebody uh, decides to follow you, you rejoice. Help us to rejoice right now as we remember your son. And we pray this through him. Amen.